Um, Nick Thune is, is one of my favorite comedians, and uh, uh, Nick Thune um, uh, uh, tells uh, a story in that uh, little bit there that just reminds us that all of us are liars to some extent, right? To one degree to another, all of us lie. The internet just provided space to turn that lie up to like 11, right? There are 10,000 reasons to lie and 10,000 more reasons why we would lie on the internet. Uh, my category for lying on the internet is just simple vanity. I don't mean that I'm looking to say things on the internet or, or show things on the internet because I want to show off this beautiful thing. I just am really uh, conscious that when I post things, thank you, my daughter's in the front row, and uh, she's the only one that gets it, but I don't, I'm not here to show off anything beautiful here. I'm just really, like, cautious of what, what I put out there so I don't look terribly ridiculous, right? So here's an example. A couple weeks ago, my son Elliot and I, Elliot, are you here? You haven't skipped out yet? Yeah, Elliot and I, so Elliot and I went uh, on, a, on a trip to uh, uh, Colorado for his 16th birthday to play golf and uh, ski and go to a, a Rockies game, and so I was going to document the whole thing. I was going to, like, Instagram this whole thing, and so this is our first picture on the plane, and I stopped, and I looked at it, and I'm like, that is the picture of ridiculousness, right? Like, there is nothing good or attractive or hopeful or encouraging about that. So, Elliot's like, uh, are you going to post that? That's probably why he's got that little wry smile on his face, and I was like, yeah, I don't think the world needs to see that. So, this is what I did with my next picture, is that I I went ahead and changed it, and what I did... And what I did was, not only did I, he's like, what is this? I'm like, nobody needs to see my double or triple chins or quadruple or quintuplet chins. And, uh, and notice that I also put it through a filter because filters provide uh, a ray of light that makes everything look okay, right? And so look at that. Look at just like I went from who I am, a uh, 46-and-a-half-year-old dad who looks ridiculous to semi-normal. And so that's it. My, the way that I lie on the internet is really, really based on simple vanity. I recognize who I am. I just don't want to look dumb, right? So that's my confession. You can meet up with me later and tell me how you lie on the internet, uh, but we all lie. We are very, very aware that the internet, you can take that off. Please take that off, Brad. Um, I can't, like when I move and pivot and see that, I'm undone by ridiculousness. Uh, um, but, the, but like all of us lie and we're all aware of it. We're all aware of how social media has created this platform um, that where things don't have to be real or things don't have to be honest. And we find and we manipulate all kinds of ways uh, to tell our story, to kind of post who we are. And, and often, not always, but often for some of us, um, that, can be, um, that can be a challenge to be honest and be real. We're selective. We're careful. Um, we're conscious of the edit button. Uh, some of us in the room, when we post something, um, we write it once and we send it. But others will write it and rewrite 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 it and then send it. And they'll be very mindful about putting it out there and how that reception is going to be. Some of us in the room are really cool with that and we're okay with how people are going to react. But a lot of us, um, th- there is that struggle of being real. And there's a struggle to be real because real is dangerous. And real is dangerous. And putting real on a social media platform is going to provide space for a response back that may not be real or it could be really, really harmful. But all of us lie. All of us lie. But every now and then, the internet provides a nugget of real that is just so stinking awesome. All right, so last year, there's a writer, blogger, activist named Glennon Doyle, and many of us follow Glennon Doyle and read her works. She posted this picture. Now, uh, this picture uh, is uh, her at one of uh, 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 
her kids' soccer games, I think, okay? Now, that's not her. Now, it, now give me some latitude about being real on the internet and then taking a picture of somebody else who's being real, but let's just go with her for a minute. This is what she wrote. She's like, on this Thursday morning, I give you my new hero. This soccer mom is at my kid's last game. And while all the other moms stood on the sideline with great concern and worry and volume, this, our hero, laid her body down on the ground, her head on her purse and her jacket over her face, and she napped. Every once in a while, the sideline would wake her, and she would raise her arms and say, yay! Yay! <laughs> And then go back to sleep. I love her. Her entire existence said, I'm showing up for my kid, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm not exhausted about it. (laughs) To women everywhere, when they're tired, let us know them. Let us raise them. Let us be them. I would like to formally nominate this soccer mom as the hero of our club. I will be the secretary in charge of meetings. There won't be any meetings. I salute you. This This woman here... This unknown woman is the winner of the internet for 2018. That is the most real picture. And if you've been to a kid's soccer game, ah, if you've been to a kid's swim meet, let us pray. (laughs) I saw a t-shirt at my kid's first swim meet that said swim meets are like heaven because they last forever. And I was like, I didn't understand that until I went through my first nine-hour swim meet on a Tuesday. This woman won, won the internet that day. She was honest. Glennon Doyle helped us with honest. Now, kids, let me tell you something. You can take that off. Let me tell you something. The internet didn't invent lying. We were very, very good at it long before the internet existed. Have I ever told you the story about how I met my wife? The year was 1992, and I was starting my third year of college. And I went to the prestigious Western Michigan University, which is often referred to as the Harvard of Kalamazoo. And... Uh, And while at Western Michigan University, I was involved in a Christian organization called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It was this opportunity. Thank you. Got some IV people in the house. And our chapter was about 300. And uh, school started on a Tuesday. It was Labor Day weekend. It was about Labor Day weekend. My birthday's on Labor Day, September 3rd. Mark that down. And so it was just before that. And so school started on Tuesday. Thursday was our first meeting. And in the first meeting of, let's just be honest, the first meeting of like large group at IV was a chance for everybody to kind of show up, you know, look good. I showered like it was good, like I was prepared. And we understood that we were going to be able to meet all kinds of people. And so there was a little bit of effort, right, to look appropriate your first day when you get to meet all these uh, uh, friends and co-eds and all that. And so there we were, and I show up, and I'm living off campus, and, um, and in my condo com- or my apartment complex, there was a Bible study that was going to take place, and I'd signed up to be in this Bible study. I was, um, I'd only been a Christian a couple years. I was pursuing Jesus. I was pursuing his word. I was trying to figure this whole thing out, and uh, so I was going to join this Bible study. So at InterVarsity, there's a room about this size, and what they did was everybody was sitting was seated, and they're like, all right, we're going to explain where all the Bible studies are. And so they put all the Bible study leaders around the room by where they lived off campus, and then had them announce what they were going to do. And then they said, everybody get up and go find the one that seems to fit, like where you live or what you're looking for. And so I was on that side of the room, and because I'm a seven, instead of just walking to that, I had to like walk the whole room and say hi to everybody that I hadn't seen in a few months. And I saw a friend that was leading a Bible study on the other side of campus, a good 15 minutes away from where I lived by car. But I saw her, and I hadn't seen her in a while, and I wanted to go say hi to her. And so I made my long loop through, and I walked over to see her, and she was talking to this person that just wowed every fiber of my being. We can put that picture up now. And there she was. (laughs) So 
I actually don't know if Anne is even in the room. Oh, goodness, I'm in trouble. Someone thought that this was my daughter. I was like, yeah, it's cool. It kind of looks like Soren. That's Annie. Um, I, so what I did was, and tell a story about Anne, I had to look at her social media platform to find a picture of her, and that's the oldest one I could find. So uh, I don't know what year that is, Anne. Do you know? Is it like, okay, 86. Okay, so she was a few years older than this. But that was my wife. And so I walked up to this, that my friend to say hi, and she's like, hey, Mike, good to see you, big hug. This is Anne. She just transferred from Indiana University. And I'm like, Whoa. Everybody in the room looked so good and smelled so good and were clean and everything. And there's this sight in front of me. And she's wearing a hoodie sweatshirt with a pocket ripped. She's got green sweatpants on, not the cool green running sweatpants on. I'm talking like prison issued green sweatpants. Okay? And like one leg up and one leg down. She's got two different colored socks on and both of them are dirty. Her shoes are filthy. Her hair's pulled back in a ponytail and she's just got sweat dripping off her. She smelled like the earth. Like she came in and she was out there in the world and my friend's like, cool, I gotta go like get organized. Anne's gonna join my Bible study and she's like, which Bible study are you gonna join? And I looked back at my friends and I was like, I'm joining yours because you're awesome and it'll be cool. And so I'm here talking to this, this, this site in front of me. And she's like, hi, man, I just transferred. I'm like, I'm, I'm Mike. I know I've been here. I know everything. Let me show you around. I'll be kind to you. And she's like, I'm like, so what's your story? And she's like, well, I just ran here. Like I, I timed my run and then I ended up here. And I'm like, who does this? You know, like this is your chance to like show off your beauty and you just show up and, and you smell a little bit like a CrossFit gym. I do know because I went once and I know how they smell. And so like, I, I, here she is. And she's like, I really love to run. Do you like to run? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) There's like three or 400 things that I love and that's right at the top. (laughs) She's like, cool. Would you take me running? I was like, yeah. She's like, how about tomorrow? And I was like, oh crap. And I said, well, it's my birthday weekend, so my boys are coming up from other colleges. How about we do it like on Monday or Tuesday? And she's like, great. Exchange numbers. We had to actually literally write house numbers down back then. And, uh, and so, there, so I did. And so my buddy was coming up from Eastern Michigan, which is not the Harvard of Kalamazoo. And uh, he was on a cross-country team in high school. And I called him. I said, Matt, do you still have your running shoes? And he's like, yeah, why? And I said, I need them. And he's like, go buy new ones. I'm like, no, then she'll know that I'm not a runner. I need dirty shoes, okay? Bring me all your old dirty gear because you're not running anymore either. Matt shows up, gives me his dirty gear. Tuesday, Ann comes and picks me up. She picks me up in a 1987 Volkswagen GTI with the front door tied shut with a jump rope. Who is this girl? (laughs) Wearing the same sweatpants and dirty socks. I'm like, who are you? And I am like fit and I'm looking good and I'm doing my stretches and we get out to the park. She's like, how long do you want to run today? And I was like, I don't know. I really wanted to say, can we just get in the car and go get coffee? You know, like, do we have to do this? She's like, how about seven miles? And I was like. (laughs) So I threw up in my mouth, right? And I had to rinse it out real quick. And uh, and I'm like, sure. So we go running and I'm praying the whole time, dear Jesus, if you are real, get me through this. And I am focused on the path. And Anne's like, so what do you do? Where are you going? 
She is one of those runners. So just FYI, she talked the entire time we ran. We get back in the car. She drives me home. I get back to my, my, my apartment and my room's in the second floor. And I've been sitting in the car for a few minutes. And I get out and I'm cement legging it. And I start climbing the stairs up to my room. And I got about halfway and I said, this is the most comfortable position I've been in an hour. So I'm just going to lay here. About a half hour later, I'm asleep. The phone rings. It's, so I crawl downstairs, answer the phone. It's Ann. Hey, Mike, it's Ann. You want to go running tomorrow? Yes, I do. <laughs> this continues all semester. All semester. Uh, end of semester, Ann comes to me and says, hey, I'm going to go study in Ecuador next semester. I'm going to be gone for a semester um, because that's what Ann does. And she just does things like this. And I'm like, okay. So I throw her a big party, bring a bunch of our friends together, and I write her a note. And in the note, I said, Anne, I have to confess a lie. I don't run. I hate running. I've never enjoyed running. There's nothing in me that finds it encouraging. <laughs> but I did this because I needed to be near you from the moment that I saw you. You are something otherly, and I have to be with you. And she read it in front of me. And she looked up and said, thanks. <laughs> what? And gave me a noogie and went to Ecuador. <laughs> What's the moral of the story? Oh, don't, run. don't run. There's a, <laughs> running gets you nothing. Moral of the story, lying never gets what you want. It always leaves you unsatisfied. Anne comes back the next fall, and she's like, okay, I'm back, and I'm ready. And I said, I'm dating somebody else. That's what happened in the beginning of our story. Lies never get you what you want. It always leaves you unsatisfied. You are so lonely in the midst of your lie. You're lonely in the lie because you're the only one in it. And, and once you expose it, it really challenges things like trust. It worked out, guys. Don't be nervous. She married me a few years later. Most of it's good. There we go. So all of us lie. All of it's good, Ann. I love you. Uh, somebody asked me if I was going to, uh, I told I was going to tell a story about Ann. They said, did you get permission? And I said, no. So you can pray for me later. We all long for real, though. We all long for real. We don't see it enough, but when we come into contact with it, it's good. But if we're living in the fake, it only leads to despair and to destruction. You never get what you want in a lie. It always leaves us unsatisfied. And it, and it just increases this need and this craving for something more. So this morning, I want to continue in our look at First John, and I want to kind of like rip through this stuff in the next few minutes. And I want us just to think about this concept of real faith and real relationships. And so um, we read last week, we can go ahead and put that passage up. We read last week, it says this. Um, so this is the beginning of the book of First John. John, um, we'll just say this right now. John was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus dies about the year 33 A.D., John was a disciple. Theologians and historians often uh, note that John was probably the youngest of all the disciples, a teenager, um, and not an older teenager, but a teenager. And uh, John had a very, very special, loving relationship with Jesus. And, um, and John would end up writing uh, several books of, of the Newer Testament of the Scriptures. Um, he wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote uh, these letters uh, at the end that we read. Um, 
And John was, um, John's writing this book some, sometime between 80 and 90 AD. So he's writing this a good 50, 60 years after Jesus' death. John is at the end of his life. And he's writing this letter because um, um, to these churches. It's not directed to a single church. It's directed to a, to a group of churches. And he's writing this letter to both warn them and provide them hope. The warning was is that there was some teaching that started to pop up in Greek life at the end of the first century. There was a philosophy called docetism, which is the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. And it was this idea that Jesus only appeared, only seemed to be human. And the re- it's really interesting that the argument in the first century was not whether or not Jesus was divine. The argument was whether or not Jesus was human. And so there was this idea called docetism that Jesus only seemed to be human, that perhaps even, even if you can accept it on a, on a minor level, that like maybe, maybe the divine and the human came together at uh, his baptism, but it left him at the cross before he died. But that's, that's really kind of even an extreme view of docetism. Most docetists would just say, no, 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 because uh, he, God can't be flesh because flesh is matter. Matter is part of creation, and matter and flesh and creation are evil. And so there's no way that God would ever become flesh. And it was part of a larger idea called Gnosticism. And Gnostics, uh, and Gnosis, the Greek word, means knowledge. And Gnostics is a, Gnosticism is a very, very complicated philosophical system, a philosophical and ideological system. That basically, I'll give you a couple points of it, but some of them is that individuals can, com- can be enlightened, but it's really, really random. You can't ask for it. You can't find it. It just happenstancely happens to you. And when it does, you get illuminated. You get enlightened. And you are given a, a, a pathway of special knowledge, gnosis, knowledge. And that knowledge enlightens you about how the world works and all of that. Now, because matter creation and flesh is wrong and broken and dirty and evil, everybody's screwed. But if you're one of these few individual and enlightened folk, you're kind of getting a pass. And so these people kind of showed up with all kinds of uh, stories to tell and teachings to give, and that started impacting the church. And it was impacting the church because people were saying, well, what if the docetists or the Gnostics are right? I mean, is Jesus really human? Is Jesus really God? Then if Jesus isn't human, then there's, no, then the, there's no virgin birth. There's no pure and sinless life. There's no, uh, there's no feeling. There's no emotion. There's no, uh, there's no pain. There's no experiencing humanity, which also means that there's no death. There's no burial. There's no resurrection. None of it matters. And so John is going to write this letter to encourage them to say, listen, there are false teachings out there, and we need to name them. But instead of just naming them, let's invite us all back into that which is very, very real. And so that's kind of the context of this. And this is what we studied last week, but I just wanted to read it real quick. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim the word of life. John is just saying, I was there with Jesus. I experienced him. I touched him. I beheld the word of life. This life appeared. We've seen it. We testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also might have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is where? It's with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He's just starting out to saying, I was there. I beheld the glory of God, his Son. I held him. I leaned on him. I held, he held me. I touched him. 
And who is he? He and the Father and the Son are one, and they are God. And in him we have fellowship, which is, which is great connection, great partnership, and we have that with him. And then he continues into what our passage is for today. Verse 5. So let's just take this kind of one verse at a time. This is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness. Do you understand now the metaphor for light? God is, uh, John is not just creating some random metaphor um, in some dualistic sense to talk about, you know, uh, good and evil, light and dark. He's literally saying this light thing is a real thing and you all know what we're talking about here. And he's saying, no, 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 no. This is the message we declare to you. God is the light. God is the source of all truth and power and beauty. It is God. It doesn't happenstancely fall in an individual while they're walking down the street. No, 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 no. That's not where the source is, and that's not how we get the source. No, no, no. God is the light. God is the illuminated one. And in him, there is no darkness. There is no evil, no deceit, no uh, hate. No, it doesn't exist. The only thing that is God is that he is pure, pure light. He is the light, the power, and the source, and the glory. It doesn't fall randomly in some happenstance ideology. God is the light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, 50 or 60 years before this, John records another statement of Jesus while Jesus was um, teaching and walking on earth before he died, and this is before docetism and Gnosticism, and this is what Jesus says as, as almost like a, like a prophetic prelude to what was coming. In the book of John uh, chapter 8, verse 11, it says this, and Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's already identifying that which is to come. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. And in me there is no evil. There is no darkness. There's only the purity of light. There's only the purity of light. Now, John does not dismiss the idea that the darkness is real. And friends, the darkness is real. And our journeys in this life intersect with darkness and light and with good and evil. What happened at UNCC on Tuesday was evil and it happened in the dark. A couple weeks ago, Ann and I remembered the 20th anniversary of Columbine High School, which I've been very open about that part of our story. And how that story is my story and how our lives intersected on campus that day 20 years ago. And we just just dealt with the 20th anniversary. Tuesday I went home from work and my phone just started blowing up. Not just people from here, but people from around the country acknowledging another school shooting in another city that we live in. But my eyes were elsewhere. Bonnie Shade from here. Nick Nichols from here. Morgan and Greer from here. A lot of you are alumni. A lot of you were near campus that day randomly. And that dark, evil episode intersects with our lives here today. I feel like a broken record, 
But gun violence is an epidemic in this country, and we know it, and we do very little to change it. We know it, we do very little to change it. And then Wednesday, I was at a meeting, and as I sat down at a meeting Wednesday night, I got a text that Riley Howell, this hero who um, went after the perpetrator and, and, and sacrificed his life to protect his classmates, uh, is the cousin of a dear friend of mine named Maria Musing, who used to be a member of our community here. And Maria and Ryan are very, very special to me and to many of us in the room. And they are mourning and lamenting the loss of their friend and their cousin, their family member. I mean, this, th- this is the definition of darkness and evil in our world. And it's here, and we don't get to avoid it. But let's not fool ourselves. The space of darkness is not just for the worst of the worst. It's a space where all of us can intersect. It's a place where truth is manipulated and God is denied. When we do and say things that are contrary to the truth and beauty of God, where when we walk in it, we fail by it, but then we continue the narrative. That's the warning of 1 John, but it comes with a promise. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And he's going to juxtapose this idea of claiming to have fellowship and walking in fellowship, okay? So the claiming to have fellowship is basically saying this, if your relationship with God is mere lip service, that is that I can say with my mouth, yay God, he's good, I like God, it's cool. But you don't walk in it, which we'll get to the word walk in a minute. That's just who they're not. Walk is the Greek word peripepto. Sounds like something you'd buy at Walgreens. It's not, though. Derives itself from this Hebrew word, holak. It's one of the most important words to the Hebrews in the Old Testament, to walk. To walk is to be whole life invested on a journey. And everything that the Hebrews did was that they walked, sometimes literally, but often spiritually. They were constantly on the move, constantly on the journey, constantly on the path, one foot in front of another. You didn't talk about God, you walked with God. You didn't talk about religion, you walked in religion. You didn't talk about faith, you walked by faith, in faith, with God, with others. You're constantly on the move, one foot in front of the other. John loves this word to walk. He uses this verb all the time in his letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, when he talks about how we live our lives. It's not mere lip service that defines your relationship with God, the fruit of your relationship with God is what does your life look like when you walk in it? When your whole life surrender, give it my all and all. That is what John's talking about. Not like, hey, God's a good idea. And I like God. I don't know if I need God every day. I don't know the daily need for God right now. You might, you know, be sitting in your heavenly stoop with your feet up on some cloud somewhere, and that might matter to me at some point in my life. But right now, here on planet Earth in 2019, I've got things to worry about down here. God, I don't know if you're aware of that, but I got kids, and that, like, that is like beyond a full-time job. And so I have to serve and honor and clothe and protect them, and I have to navigate their paths so they're good, and they're good citizens, and they're protected, and they're honored, and they're safe, and I'm going to work really hard for that. Oh, and I'm married, and i got to take care of that too, and that's a lot of work, God, and I, I mean, I don't know what you're going to do to fix that, because you're doing your thing, and I'm going to do my thing, and we'll, we'll be okay at some point, and I'll need you eventually. Oh, and i got a job too, 
right? And I got to get up and go to work every day. And the, if you met my boss, uh, that's craziness, right? Like, how am I going to get st- stuff done? I'm so stressed out. Life is crazy. Oh, and I live here and I have neighbors. And some of my neighbors are crazy. And it's totally inappropriate how our neighborhood functions and blah, 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 blah. And God, you're doing your thing up there. And that's cool. But right here where I'm, I don't really need you right now. But I might someday. It'll be towards the end of my life when I'm doing some of my last breaths. And then, you know, I'll call you back and maybe we'll be cool. But I got it down here, God. I'm going to effort to protect and honor and serve. I'm going to one that's going to fix my problems in my marriage. I'm the one that's going to fix my problems with my kids. I'm the one that's going to fix. I'm going to do that. I don't know if I need you every day. But if someone says, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, God's awesome. Or do we whole life surrender and walk in it? We walk in it. Sometimes that walk is straight. Sometimes that walk is backwards. And sometimes that walk means I got to sit down and take a rest because this is just too hard. But I keep moving, whole body, whole self, whole heart, whole soul. Are we walking in God? If we claim to have fellowship with Him, what walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. That is a staggering statement. And I can't dismiss it and I can't get around it. He is juxtaposing what comes out of our mouth and the fruit of our lives. But if we walk in the light, is he in the light? Now, how do we walk in the light? Is he in the light? We go get our DC DC Talk album from 1995, and we sing the song over and over. Some of you get that. There are some, like, youth group 90s kids here that are like, I'm going to be in the light. That's most of the singing you'll ever get out of me in public. How do you walk in the light? Is he in the light? It's a bit literal and a bit metaphorical. I would argue that the only way that you can walk in the light, that I can walk in the light, that we can walk in the light, is that we do so by faith. We do so by faith. I know some people, I have family members that think fake is just a, like a weak, constructed idea created by weak people that, need, that, that are going to depend on something that's not true. And I say, no, faith is so much more than that. I love how the writer of Hebrews defines the word faith in, the, uh, in this gorgeous book called the book of Hebrews in the, in the, uh, in the New Testament. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Faith is hoping in that which has been promised. And I need to tell you that this book is a book completely filled with promises said and promises fulfilled. How do we define the entire Bible? It is all about people saying, um, this is what I need, and God saying, this is what I'm going to give you, and then having all of that work itself out in the person of Jesus Christ. The entire Bible is about promises made and promises kept. Faith is the assurance of promises hoped for. And living and breathing in 2019, I need a lot more hope. Because the darkness is killing us. And it's also the conviction of things not seen. Jesus has never walked into my room and sat down with me and high-fived me and held me with his physical arms. I've not had that luxury. John talked about that he did. I don't have that luxury. Does that mean that Jesus is not real? No, because I know deep in the conviction of my body, beyond my bones and beyond my, beyond my flesh and my bones and my joints, and my, beyond all of that is that I am spirit and soul. And my existence is physical and spiritual and emotional. And when you put that together, I have seen Jesus. And I have experienced Jesus. 
My, I started following Jesus in 1989. My year, 27 years of following Jesus, or eight, I wasn't a math major, is all about the conviction that I have seen, tasted, touched, and been held by the God of the universe over and over and over and over because the promises made were promises kept were promises fulfilled and Jesus is like come on in come on in walk with me not at me with me I have seen Jesus the light of the world and what's the benefit well, the benefit is by faith, real faith, I walk into the light and I live and I taste and I experience the king of the universe, the Messiah of the world, the hope of the world. And then it says, and you have fellowship with one another. This is so strange. In the first verses, it said our fellowship was with God and the Son. And so God could have just said, my whole plan is this, is that you get to connect with me. And that would have been enough. But then he says, you also get to connect with other people. Because us as his special creation was never intended to be alone. We were always meant to be together. Our first parents, when God creates Adam, creates Eve because they shouldn't be alone. When God calls Abraham to be the father of the nation, it's for him and his children and his children's children and his children's children. It's always for others. And this story of invitation to others is part, is, is the story of the, of the scriptures. A constant invitation to come be part of this family. We are not meant to be alone. We were not meant to be alone. All of us have been invited. We have been invited into the family of God. And when we step into the light, as he is in the light, and we step in with those who are walking in the light with God, in the light, we are totally exposed. Real gets real. And we stand in the light and we peel back and we expose and we say, this is me. And that is dangerous. It could have been enough that he gives us him. It could have been enough that he gives us us. But look how it finishes. Not only do we have fellowship with one another and we have fellowship and the fellowship with the blood of Jesus, his son, who purifies us from all sin. Not only do we get God and we get others, we also get forgiveness. We also get forgiveness. Jesus, fully God at the beginning of creation and in the fullness of time, sometime around the beginning of the first century, AD, BC, in the fullness of time, Jesus leaves his space as the king of the universe and submits himself willfully into the womb of Mary, conceived by the Holy Ghost. A virgin birth, the Spirit of God, creating space. And God entering into that space pure, unblemished, no evil, no darkness, no hate, no condemnation, enters into that space, lives a perfect life, and at the end of his perfect sinless life, 
offers himself as a sacrifice on the altar to God. We had been sacrificing animals for centuries. And it was good but never great because all the blood of the animals was imperfect. But Jesus said, I am the perfect sacrifice. My blood is pure. And I will climb on that cross as a willing sacrifice for you so you don't have to die. So you don't have to be separated from the Father. We get God, we get each other, and we're forgiven. And what are we forgiven from? All sin. I looked up the Greek word for all. You know what it means? All. It means all. It means all. It means that there's not a sin being carried in this room today that cannot be forgiven by the God of the universe. There's not a sin in this room today that cannot be forgiven by the God of the universe. Not one. All come. Because what we see in that space is a bunch of imperfect people desperately needing redemption. And a God who says, come on in. There's plenty of room. No one should be left out. All is forgiven. Real faith leads to real relationship. Real faith leads to real relationship. As hard and as raw as that is, that is the reality of God trying to build space to bring us to a place of hope and peace. Now, we can remain, we can remain distant from that and fight that tension. I love what my, um, my friend Brené Brown says. I say friend. I've never met her, but I like to say that. Um, somebody in this room once said Brené Brown is her spirit animal. I really love that definition. She's this uh, brilliant teacher, but she says this. You can either walk inside your story and own it, or you can stand outside your story and hustle for your own worthiness. If we stand outside the light, we are hustling for our own worthiness. Or we can step into the light and find our best story, our truest story, our perfect story. And that is, we were made in the image of God and we are broken and he loves us and forgives us. You are imperfect, Brandy Brown says. Go to the next one. You are imperfect. You are wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. We are worthy of love and belonging because of who Jesus is. Real faith is about surrender. And real fellowship is about connection and partnership with God and His Son and His Spirit and the church. That is the realest thing I can offer you. My question is, will you come? Will you come? Thanks for listening to the Warehouse 242 podcast. If you have any questions or want to find out more about Warehouse, visit warehouse242.org or come join us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 2307 Wilkinson Boulevard in Charlotte. Thanks for listening.